Good morning, everyone. Great. So as Rob said, we're starting a new series this morning, and we are looking at seven words of love from Jesus on the cross. Uh, I think we're not too far out from Easter, as the indication of Shrove Tuesday may have given to you. So Lent starting on Wednesday, guys, which is exciting. Um, And this morning, we're going to look at the first word of love that we hear on the cross, and that is forgiveness. And thank you for what you shared, Woody. It's amazing just to hear that, and I think that in itself is a challenge enough to us all in what it means to forgive and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to forgive ourselves as well, which is just an amazing start point as we think about this stuff. Now, I'm going to ask you a quick question as we start. Who knows who Arthur Conan Doyle is? Yeah, okay, good few people, good few people. Do you know who Sherlock Holmes is? Okay, if you don't know who uh, Arthur Conan Doyle is, you've probably heard of Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes was the brainchild of Arthur Conan Doyle. So he created that character. But I'm not going to talk to you about Sherlock Holmes particularly right now. I'm going to talk to you about the fact that Arthur Conan Doyle was a bit of a prankster. Okay, um, Back before there were telephones and you could make prank calls, although there's, um, there's voice recognition and all that kind of stuff these days, and number recognition, that means you can't do it anymore. Found that out the hard way. Um, but... Um, Arthur Conan Doyle, he sent telegrams to his friends as jokes, okay? I do not want to be this guy's friend, okay? He sent this, sent these words. It was just six words. It said, we are discovered, flee at once, okay? No signature, no nothing. The telegram arrives to 12 of his friends. And the story goes that within two days, four of them had fled the country One of them, never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. So the story goes. Um, I hope it's true, because I I think it's just one of the most intriguing things that has happened in history, is that guilt and fear run so deep in so many people that when an inspecific and unspecific message arrives in a telegram and says, we are discovered flee at once. The first instinct of a third of those people was to do exactly that, to flee, and in some cases, never come back. And I've I've often joked about my my all circumstances contingency plan B, which is to run away to Fiji. Um, So much like Truman Burbank from the Truman Show, although I think I've told so many people now about this this plan, so there's another 150 or so people who know about this plan now, that uh, it's going to make it quite difficult. Um, Though I've done my research, there are over 100 islands in Fiji, so you'd have a hard time finding me. I'd get a couple of good years on the run in a tropical island before you could properly track me down. But the truth is that guilt is a powerful emotion. It makes us feel like we'll be found out. It makes us feel like we'll be judged. It'll make us feel like we're constantly looking over our shoulder because when we get found out, there'll be retaliation. Someone will be angry with us. Someone will want retribution. There will be some kind of consequences. And as we talk about forgiveness this morning, we have to look at forgiveness from the perspective of what it releases us from. It releases us from guilt. It releases us from shame. It releases us from fear, from addiction. And so as we start this new series building up towards Easter, and we start looking at these words, we focus in on the power of the cross for forgiveness. The first words Jesus spoke over us 
on the cross was forgiveness. And this is from Luke 23. It says, A large crowd trailed behind him, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned to him and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs who have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never been nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these days are done... When the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two, other, uh, two others, both criminals, were led out, out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowds watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too. By offering a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The word of forgiveness on the cross. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. Such amazing words to hear those spoken over his crucifiers, his murderers, the people who didn't believe that he was who he said he was, who God said he was. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Let's start by taking a look at what we normally do with our guilt. We'll look then at what God wants us to do with our guilt and how the cross sets us free from that. We've already heard one from Woody about what we do with our, with our guilt. We beat ourselves up, don't we? And it's pretty clear that's a kind of, a sort of default mode for a lot of people is to beat ourselves up. But we don't just do that. We often try and bury it, try and hide the past, but it keeps coming back to haunt us. In our dreams, our thoughts, our conversations, but it doesn't work. And not least because God already knows. And then there's blame. When we're guilty, we don't take responsibility, we blame. It wasn't my fault. If they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. Or if perhaps I had something different that had happened in my life, just as Woody pointed out, he can't blame his sisters. He had to forgive. Blame. And in the Garden of Eden, we see both of these responses outworked. And thank you, Rob, for reading that earlier. You get to hear this passage twice today from Genesis 3. Um, so Genesis 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. So they hid from him. Uh, they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to them, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. So I hid hid from their, their sin. They hid from their past. They tried to bury it. They tried to get rid of it. They tried to get rid of the consequences. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. <laughs> this is a guy who's uh, very quickly got to grips with how blame works. It was the woman. That you gave me. So he blames first the woman. 
And then he blames God. We're okay here. You know, it's the woman's fault. Oh, wait, no, hold on. I'm okay. It's You're the problem here, God. Not me, not the woman. You're the problem. It was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she replied, the servant deceives me. Blame again. That's why I ate it. Do you see what happens here? Do you see what happens? This is a story as old as creation. How we try and deal with our guilt, how we try and deal with our sin. Our default modes are to bury and to blame other people, to try and hide it. God knows and he loves you. That is what I want you to hear this morning. That God knew what Adam and Eve had done even before they knew what they'd done. Even before they really understood when they were hiding in the bushes and God's calling out and he goes, immediately he goes, did you eat from the, from the tree? God knew. God knew. And he still loved them despite their sin, despite their guilt. And God still loves you despite your sin and despite your guilt. In other ways, we try and bury our sin. Perhaps we, we minimize it. We say it's not that big a deal. But why does it still feel like a big deal? Why does it still follow you around? Why does it bug you? Perhaps you rationalize it by saying that everyone else is doing it. It must be okay if everyone else is doing it, right? If everyone else is, is using these words or everyone else is treating that person in this way, then it, it must be okay, mustn't it? Or we compromise. We lower our standards. We say, well, it's not a sin anymore. You know, here, this is where the line is. I'm going to draw the line here now. And then, well, I'm going to draw the line a little bit lower down now. It's not a sin. I'm going to cross that one off the sin list. But the truth is that a sin is a sin is a sin. It's exactly the same whether we decide to compromise and lie to ourselves and say that it's no longer a sin. It still hurts our relationship between us and our Father God. And in Proverbs, it says that uh, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. See, the thing is, we can, we can try and hide from them. We can try and bury them. We can try and run away from them. We can minimize, compromise, rationalize. But we will not prosper. We will not succeed in life. Because if we run, we take ourselves with us. If I run away to Fiji, guess who's coming with me? Me. All the guilt, all the pain, all the hurt, all the things that I've said is not that big a deal and it's still chasing me. I'm still there. And the words of a Canadian folk singer that I like, Jill Paquette, she wrote, my sin goes before me, closing doors. But I don't think it's the sin that closes the doors. I think it's us. I think we close the doors. Because in my eyes, every unconfessed sin is another decision by us not to recognize our dependence on God and our need for mercy. Did you hear that in Proverbs? People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess their sins and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The deeper issue 
is dependence on God. We should be aiming to sin less and depend more. I would suggest to you that actually the aim of sinning less will be directly transformed by the decision to depend on God more. And it's often the root of self-sabotage that when we depend on our own strength and not on God's, that we end up feeling unworthy or unclean. And so we work harder and we work harder to the detriment perhaps of all other things, not realizing that our strength and our identity is in Christ. And for that to be true, for our identity to truly come from Christ, we must make decisions to depend on God more. So scripture says, anything that is good in you, anything at all, first came from God. If you want to succeed in life, you need to depend on God more. And if you're going to depend on God more, you can't conceal your sins. So if you're struggling with sin today, I want to encourage you to start a journey of dependence by repenting and making a decision to own and accept the sins, accept the things that you have done wrong. And then the second thing, blame. In the story, why did you eat the fruit? Because the woman told me to. In fact, you gave me the woman God, so it must be somehow your fault, not mine. The kind of lies that we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves, that we're okay. And these people aren't okay, and so they are the problem. Or actually, God, something about you's the problem, and push, pushing and forcing it out onto God. But that blame doesn't work. We make our own choices. We choose how we respond to people, relationships, and situations. And we have to take responsibility. No ifs, no buts. Every last bit that is in our control, we take responsibility for. When uh, King David confessed his sin of adultery and murder, he took all the responsibility for it. For, uh, for those of you who don't know the story of, of David's moral failure, it um, goes a little like this. It says, uh, yeah, on the day that, uh, that David, King David looked out of his palace, he saw a beautiful lady bathing on the roof of her house. Now, I don't have a flat roof on my house, but I'm pretty sure you'll all agree with me at this point that bathing naked on your roof is probably not a good idea. It's not the best location, is it? But the story goes on, it leads to adultery and murder, murder because Bathsheba became pregnant as a result of David inviting her to his palace. David had Uriah sent to the front of the battle lines and ordered his troops to withdraw to make sure that he would be left without cover and ultimately ensure his death so that no one would find out what happened. But when David wrote out his confession... His confession, if you want to look it up, it's in Psalm 51, for those of you who haven't read it. It's an amazing confession. But when he does that confession, he doesn't blame Bathsheba. He doesn't blame her at all. Did she have to say yes to him when he said, come to my palace? No. she, She didn't have to. But David didn't blame her. He took the responsibility. 
So why is it every time we make a mistake, we go looking for someone else to blame? And go looking around and go, where's, where's the Bathsheba for me to blame? And go, well, you know, if she hadn't been doing that, and if she hadn't said yes, or if he hadn't done that, then, well, you know, I, I wouldn't have done this. It's, it's obviously someone else's fault here. Someone else is to blame. It's not me, surely. I, I'm a good person. They're, they're the one who's in the wrong. We need to do like David did. Do a full moral inventory from time to time. Admit our sins. Don't try and hide or bury. And then take responsibility. So admit and then take responsibility. What's that one thing? That one thing that you're hiding. That one thing that you need to take responsibility for. That you've pushed responsibility onto someone else. Or that one thing that haunts you. Haunts you and keeps coming back and you can't deal with. What do you need to confess to God and restate your dependence on him for? What's that one thing that you've been subtly saying to God? Don't worry. Don't worry, God. I've got this. I can handle this. I can do this. It's in my control. What's the one thing that God is saying to you? Hand over to me. Trust me to deal with it. Every time we don't admit something, every time we don't take responsibility, it's a message to God. Don't worry, I've got this. I don't trust you to be merciful. I don't trust you to deal with this. And this is not the message of the cross. This is not the message of forgiveness and the message of love on the cross. Because what the message of forgiveness on the cross states to us clearly is that God has got this. It is finished. He has dealt with it. It is him. It is in his control. And he is able to set you free. You know, there are two stories that run parallel with the cross. Interestingly, if you're a a reader of the Bible uh, in one year, you'll see this one today. But uh, there are two stories that run in parallel with the cross. The story of Judas and the story of Peter. And they give us a bit of an idea of what we can do with our guilt and how we can deal with it in a positive way, in a godly way, and how we can deal with it in a worldly way. Because the two stories are very similar. Think about it. Judas and Peter, very similar people, close friends with Jesus. They're considered to be in the 12 disciples. They were there. They were both told by Jesus that they would let him down. One was told that he would deny him three times. One was told that he would betray him. Both forms of betrayal. And when Peter realized that he'd done it, he went away and wept bitterly. Judas, likewise, went and wept bitterly, but he sought to confess his sins to the Pharisees. And all the world did when he went and confessed it to them was pile on guilt and shame and fear. And when Peter confessed his sins to Jesus... All he did was shower him in love and in mercy. And when you look in 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin and results in salvation or freedom. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. For worldly sorrow which lacks repentance leads to spiritual death. 
So as we look at the first word of love on the cross, the word of love in forgiveness, the world is always on hand and will always be on hand to pile on guilt, to pile on fear, to, fi- to pile on shame. But Jesus turns to us and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This was the first word of love on the cross. Forgiveness. God saying, I can handle this. And in fact, God already has in Jesus Christ. In Colossians, Paul writes this, he says, For you were dead in your sins. And the truth is, is, um, as Paul points out in other passages, that we've all fallen short. The word sin comes from the, uh, the Greek word to miss the mark in archery, to not hit the target. We've all fallen short. And the reality is that the wages for this sin is, dead, is death. So you were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature that was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Which sins did God forgive on the cross? Which ones? All of the sins. Not just the easy ones, not just the really big ones. Every single sin. God forgave the sin that you're hiding in your heart, the one that you're lying to yourself about, the one that you're lying to someone else about. God forgave that sin. Every single one, past, present, and future. The sins that you don't even know that you are going to do, God has already forgiven. God has already set you free from that. Over every sin, Jesus is interceding with the words, Father, forgive them. And if he can pray that over the people who nailed him to the cross, he can pray that over you too. And he prays that over you. Dependence on Jesus means that every sin is forgiven. Dependence on Jesus means that we are transferred from death to life. Our sins no longer have control over our destiny. So why do we live like they do? Why do we allow them to have power that Jesus said on the cross, they no longer have power? How long do you remember an unpaid bill? Yeah? An unpaid bill? Probably nags you. Nags you and nags you and nags you. How long do you how long do you remember after you've paid the bill? Forget about it straight away. Sometimes we don't even notice. It's gone immediately. But the unpaid bill sits and weighs on our minds. But it says in this scripture that he cancelled the record of your sin. As far as the east is from the west, the psalmist puts it, that is how far God has separated us from our sins. And all we need to do in simplicity is real simple, is admit it. And in so doing, admit our dependence on God for our freedom. Place our trust in God and lean not on our own understanding. And then accept responsibility for our actions. 
Don't push the blame on anyone else. You need to do this because you need God. So I want to um, I want to take some time now as as we draw to a close on our service and ask you if you will ask God two questions today, and if you will ask God two questions throughout this week and the weeks to come. Will you ask God? Is there anything between you and me? And will you ask God? Is there anything between me and someone else? Because these are the two questions that will help you to do that full moral inventory that can lead to the point of confession and can lead to the point of release and can lead to the point of forgiveness. So I want to encourage you to ask those questions. Just take some time, ask God, is there anything between you and me Is there anything between me and someone else? And as each thing, as the Spirit prompts you with each thing, just admit it and then take responsibility. And you might find that some of these things you feel like you need some help with. Some help with kind of getting rid of that thing from your life. Casting it out. And we have a fantastic prayer team who will be available um, by the prayer banner at the back. Or perhaps... You want to talk to someone else. But ultimately, you know, prayer team, they are great confidential people who will listen to you and they will listen to God on your behalf as well. So those guys are great. But if you feel comfortable speaking to a friend or a family member, do that too. But I want to give you a couple of moments now and um, hand you back to Rob. But key thing is ask these questions now. Is there anything between you and me, God? And is there anything between me and someone else that you want me to deal with today.